Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Today's episode is brought to you by RSM US, a provider of audit, tax, and consulting services focused on the middle market. For several years now, we've been talking with RSM economists each quarter for an economic update. For the latest installment, today I spoke with RSM Deputy Chief Economist Kevin DePew, who also leads the firm's National Industry Eminence Program. I asked Kevin about the challenges that are facing mid-sized companies right now, what the policy response has been, and some of the programs in development that could benefit the middle market. He also had some good suggestions of real-time data to pay attention to as we gauge the fallout from the coronavirus. Kevin talks about RSM's Real Economy blog and other resources, so we'll link to those in the podcast description. ACG and its chapters are also working on developing resources and content to support its members, so keep checking acg.org for those. Before we get to the interview, I just want to give a shout out to everyone who's set up at home and adjusting to working remotely. I always record these interviews from the office or in person at an event, but this is my first time doing it from my apartment. Kevin was kind enough to reschedule with me after I had technical difficulties recording this over a video conference yesterday, and then just now I had to put off recording this introduction while someone ran a leaf blower right outside my window. I know a lot of us are in the same boat, whether it's technical challenges or childcare or something else. At the same time, it goes without saying that having a job right now and the ability to work from home is a privilege. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and that your technology is running as smoothly as possible. And I'm especially grateful to have you as a listener at this time. With that, here's my conversation with Kevin DePew. Kevin, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. One of the critiques of federal policymakers acting during the 2008-2009 financial crisis was that they moved too slowly and their initiatives weren't big enough. In the economic crisis we're experiencing right now, we've seen sweeping moves by the Federal Reserve and a major stimulus package is expected to be signed soon. So in your view, have federal policymakers learned from the mistakes of the past? That is, are they moving quickly enough and are their initiatives large enough to get the economy through this? Okay, that's a great question. And I think it it probably helps to separate it into two components. So the first component would be uh, the monetary policy response. And then the second component uh, that you talked about, the stimulus package, is the fiscal policy component. So uh, without question on the monetary policy component, uh, the Federal Reserve learned a great many lessons from 2008. Uh, They have admitted uh, publicly in in a number of different interviews that the policy response in 2008 was likely a little bit timid. Uh, They just, it it was difficult in the early stages for them to get a handle on the full magnitude of the crisis and how it would cascade throughout the U.S. economy. So that's one lesson that they learned. And I think, in, in fact, what, we, what we've seen uh, beginning with late last week, uh, the reduction in interest rates, near zero, um, and then essentially a pledge for unlimited asset purchases and ways to help uh, deliver that type of stimulus to the real economy. Uh, those lessons have definitely been learned. Now, on the fiscal policy side, we're at about a little bit above $2 trillion in what will likely be an initial round of stimulus. 
depending on the severity and, and duration and magnitude of this pandemic. Uh, just for comparison's sake, you know, obviously that's the largest in U.S. history. Um, uh, but in 2008, uh, it was about 800 billion um, in in response to the the Great Recession. So uh, one of the challenges is that on the monetary policy side, all the things that the Fed can do to help stabilize the economy, which they have done, and which has stabilized credit markets. Uh, that has a tendency to show up uh, with a significant lag once you get past the stabilization point. So the, 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 the efficacy of the policy from the time of implementation to the time that it works its way to the real economy takes a significant amount of time. Uh, ironically, the more difficult uh, thing to do is to create a fiscal policy response. So it's good that policymakers have at least reached in, in principle an agreement uh, for that stimulus package. That's the one that has a more immediate impact because it goes to support uh, all those people who are losing their jobs right now uh, um, and to help them uh, provide a, help provide a safety net uh, for them to get through this period. And then also the businesses that are struggling to stay open, uh, particularly small and medium businesses, which is what we've been really concerned about. And in fact, last week we were advocating for uh, a middle market lending facility that is uh, that is essentially the playbook that we uh, suggested for uh, the middle market for policymakers to help uh, get middle market businesses past that hump. That's it's good to see that that Main Street lending facility is now in place. Uh, that's going to provide about another 350 billion in loans, and so uh, all of those things are are positives. I think uh, it it does show some of the lessons we learned from the Great Recession. But again, this one is very different because uh, this is essentially like a natural disaster that has occurred uh, throughout the entire world and included the United States. So some of the economic shutdown we're seeing is very similar to what you would see in a severe hurricane or an earthquake or something that shuts down all business activity for a period of time. Is there anything you'd like to see as part of the fiscal stimulus efforts that hasn't been introduced yet? Well, a couple of things, I think, just to support uh, individuals in the workforce who, who may have lost their job. Uh, in 2007, 2009, for example, unemployment benefits were extended to uh, 99 weeks from uh, the 26-week threshold. So I think that would be something that would be helpful for individuals in the economy to be able to get through this difficult time. Uh, we're optimistic that uh, just demographics alone would suggest that given how the tight the labor market was entering uh, this period, that uh, we should see a fairly rapid recovery in jobs in the economy, but we don't know that. And so because we don't know that, I think it would be important to help extend those benefits to individuals. Mm -hmm. And you alluded to this a moment ago, but there's been a lot in the news about the economic impact on large businesses, whether it's airlines or big hotel chains, as well as really small businesses like local restaurants and coffee shops. But in between, of course, are mid-sized businesses. Can you talk about some of the unique risks and challenges that those types of companies face right now? Sure. So if you, it was apparent, uh, the first one is apparent in the credit markets earlier, uh, this week. Um, and so what, what happens in that kind of liquidity crunch, which means the, the large businesses were just all trying to get, uh, as much capital as they could at once. So they were drawing down all of their available credit lines and all of that was happening, uh, with such speed that the credit markets kind of buckled under the the bulk of that well that's all well and good for large businesses so those uh you know roughly 50 percent of of uh of 
of hiring or employment in America is in those companies that have more than 500 employees. The middle market, uh, which you know can be anywhere from say uh, hiring 50 people up to say 499, that's about a quarter. And so the challenge for the middle market is that they typically do not have access to those types of capital availability the way large firms do. And so uh, particularly when you look at businesses that have uh, that are asset light. So, for example, businesses that are largely services. And so uh, their assets are their people that uh, those are the ones that are most at risk. They typically have uh, low margins. They have uh, probably an inability to withstand uh, an eight week shutdown. Uh, and so those are the ones that are most at risk. And I think that part of the Main Street lending facility is really going to go to support those businesses. And so we're excited about that. That's one of the unique challenges that the middle market has is that they, they simply don't have as much flexibility in being able to endure and persist through a crisis like this and through a shutdown like this that some of the large businesses do. Mm-hmm. And earlier this week, the Fed said that it's going to announce soon the details of the Main Street Business Lending Program, which will support loans to small and medium-sized businesses. What do we know about that program and who qualifies? Well, we're still sorting through that at RSM. In fact, our, our team of experts are, are looking into those details right now. Uh, one of the things that we know is critically important based on what our clients are telling us is they need help understanding what exactly is in that package who qualifies, and then how do you get through the application process. And so those are the components that we're putting together, even as I speak, uh, to be able to take those solutions to our middle market clients. Mm -hmm. One of the notable things about the economic impact of this pandemic is that it began with a supply shock, first in China, where factories shut down, and then it spread to other countries. And then it also created a demand shock now that everyone is staying home and they're not eating in restaurants or buying furniture, cars, whatever. That has shifted a lot of the focus toward demand and how to get people to spend money. But can you talk about what's happening with supply chains right now and the impact that supply dynamics will have on a future recovery? Sure. So our largest uh, ports, uh, the largest port activity in the U.S. is is in California, obviously, with their uh, the port, L.A. port, um, uh, especially. And so if you just look at the most recent data from uh, from the ports of LA, uh, from the port of LA, then um, you can see that uh, I think the 15th of the month is when they report. So we should get in, on the April 15th another look at that. Uh, but right now it shows that year over year uh, loaded imports were down more than 20%. The total loaded were down 17%. Total empty containers down 35%. So it shows you the magnitude even uh, uh, 10, as, as recently as 10 days ago. Uh, with what's happening in terms of the supply shock. And that's also, you know, we're feeling that uh, on the consumer side when we're on Amazon trying to buy just basic things, or if you go to supermarkets and you see some of the empty shelves. Now, some of that's very temporary. And once the immediate demand shock starts to subside and people get a little more comfortable with what they have at home and in their situations, then you'll start to see a lot of that uh, supply come back on the shelves. Uh, but it, it extends throughout uh, manufacturing. It just shows you that when you have a global supply chain, uh, when you have any kind of, of serious shock to that supply chain, there are going to be ramifications and they're going to show up with a delay. So, uh, you know, our, our view was that when we saw what was happening in China, um, and, and so once we got into the, the middle of January, that we were anticipating that those were going to, those supply uh, uh, issues were going to show up uh, probably in about a four to six week period. 
and here we are. So uh, fortunately, the good news is that you are seeing some of China come back online uh, in terms of supply. Uh, meanwhile, here in the U.S., we have some issues uh, with uh, you know you have airlines that uh, in some cases have reduced capacity, or in, mo- in almost all cases have reduced capacity. So you have some bottlenecks that are appearing here, but uh, the good news is that we will eventually be able to work through those as we get farther along into this pandemic. The last time that you and I spoke for this podcast was right after the phase one trade deal with China was announced. That seemed like a positive development, but it didn't eliminate tariffs entirely. To what extent is the U.S. still imposing tariffs on Chinese goods? And is that exacerbating some of this supply chain disruption? Well, I don't know that it's uh, I wouldn't characterize it as exacerbating it now versus prior. I mean, the it shows up in the form of the cost of imported goods. It's an import tax. Uh, so there are still roughly two thirds of Chinese goods coming into the US that are subject to tariffs in certain categories, particularly those that are important for medical equipment and supplies. There has been some temporary relief extended for tariffs uh, for also some components that may be considered uh, critical and essential. You've seen some modest relief. That's all going to be temporary. Uh, every indication that we have so far from the administration is that the trade war is, is still continuing. So the phase one agreement, is, as we noted last time we spoke, is is really just uh, it's just a temporary truce. And the more meaningful components of that agreement, uh, things that would have a longer lasting effect, would be covered under the phase two agreement if or when we get to that point. So we're not there yet. Uh, there's certainly, you know, it is good to see that at least for the the, the medical components and, and supplies that are so necessary right now, that there has been some temporary relief. Uh, but we're not out of the woods with respect to trade. And we certainly haven't seen anything uh, or any uh, discussions by administration officials to uh, to reduce some of the trade tensions that are still percolating, not only with China, but also with the European Union and the UK. President Trump said this week that he doesn't want the cure to be worse than the disease, essentially that he's afraid that the economic fallout from safety measures could be worse than the coronavirus itself. And he's hinted that he might try to roll back social distancing measures as soon as Easter. As an economist, what's your take on that? Well, you know, we're not epidemiologists. uh, And in fact, uh, you know, an expert the experts on uh, both the when will this crisis end and will it possibly reoccur, uh, the data is still out on that. And even the experts can't tell us those critical two, the answers to those critical two questions. So uh, from an economic standpoint, uh, any discussion about restarting the economy or reducing uh, the, the quarantine measures that have been implemented to stop the spread of this virus are premature until we understand that. So we haven't seen uh, a bending of the curve in new cases in the US. Uh, We've only recently in the past week gotten up to uh, a level of of testing, uh, now testing more people than anywhere in the world. And so until we see uh, an end in sight for the spread of this virus uh, and get an understanding of will it reoccur, it's you just don't know. It's a risk reward that you don't know the risk. It's it's it, you can't even get to a data driven understanding of well, what is the real risk of reopening the economy? I get it. Uh, I understand that that you don't want the the cure, meaning the shutdown of the economy, to persist for so long that uh, it destroys the economy. 
And so I think that in order to answer that question, you have to be able to understand from a data-driven approach what the real risk is. We're not there yet. Mm -hmm. We're speaking on Wednesday morning, and there's a jobs report due out tomorrow on Thursday. What should we be looking for in that report? Well, it's it's going to be horrific in terms of uh, initial jobless claims um, on Thursday morning. I, I've seen the consensus forecasts uh, are startlingly high. And so we're talking about in the millions. Um, I think the highest uh, estimate from economists is around four million. Um, and so I, I, I think that you're definitely going to see uh, just based on the data that we've accumulated from at the state level, uh, we think it could be a couple of million. Um, and so the important thing to note is that the data that we start getting uh, beginning tomorrow and then extending through the next few weeks is all going to look awful. Uh, now, all of that looks awful because it's rearview mirror data it tells us what's already happening um, and what's already happened. Um, so in terms of understanding when it would be, uh, when we could get to a point to restart the economy, uh, we're going to see what the confirmed cases looks like and, and see if we start to, to bend the curve and, and flatten it out so that we don't continue uh, on the path right now, which is essentially overwhelming the U.S. healthcare infrastructure. Beyond the jobs report, are there other indicators that you're keeping an eye on as we try to gauge the extent of the damage from the outbreak in the coming weeks and, and months? Well, sure. I, I like the real-time data. So uh, I'll give you an example. One way that, that folks at home, if you don't have a Bloomberg terminal, and, and most of us don't, then uh, you can look at things like Google Maps, get a sense of what uh, traffic patterns are in the shutdown. I can tell you that from from my home in lower Manhattan, uh, I can get to JFK, uh, JFK airport now, according to Google maps in 27 minutes. Um, and which is astonishing, <laughs> uh, normal time would be about an hour, uh, under normal circumstances, not even considering if there was a traffic, uh, backup or accident or something. So I think you can look at daily passenger data, road and transit data, uh, as it's reported to get a sense of, uh, when the economy is starting to, to recover and, and people more comfortable moving around. Uh, when we monitor the data from China, it's not an exact comparison, but uh, things like uh, their passenger load, the road and, 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 uh, and their transit data, um, the manufacturing data, number of uh, companies that are coming back online and producing goods um, does uh, seem to be improving. Our estimate is that they're probably at about 85% of capacity right now, so that's good. Uh, in the U.S., it's going to take us a lot longer to get there. Are there any RSM resources you'd want to point people to? I saw on your website that uh, RSM is going to be re releasing its middle market business index on a monthly basis in the coming months rather than quarterly um, with outlook data from middle market firms. So we'll link to that with the podcast. But anything else you want to point people to? Well, in real time, uh, on a daily basis, realeconomy.rsmus.com is where we have our most urgent commentary. We also have a coronavirus resource center at rsmus.com. So all of those provide resources for middle market clients who are uh, looking to understand, okay, what is available to me as we get through this pandemic? Uh, what are the implications for my business? What do I need to be working on? What solution sets can RSM help uh, help us with as, as we work through this uh, this unprecedented economic shutdown? So I think we'll close by looking toward the recovery. Uh, the U.S. economy seemed pretty healthy before the coronavirus outbreak. So I'm wondering, does that put us in a better position to recover once the virus itself is contained? 
That's a great point. And in fact, we just released uh, our uh, middle market business index. What it does is it provides a snapshot of the way the economy was prior to this pandemic. And what it shows is that the middle market was very healthy. So the middle market entered this period uh, from a place of growth and stability. Uh, the forward-looking components of the survey all showed that businesses were anticipating uh, higher net revenues, higher earnings, uh, increasing capital expenditures. And so all of those components that make up a robust middle market economy were there in place before this started. So if we go back to uh, our understanding of this as being, uh, in, in some respects, the manifestation of this crisis looks similar to the most recent uh, recession, which was the Great Recession and the financial crisis. And so I get a lot of the comparisons that people are making with the economy then and with the economy now. But importantly, this is more like a natural disaster. And so what happens in the wake of natural disasters is that uh, on the other side, you begin to rebuild and the economy typically bounces back to, uh, much quicker to a level that it, uh, to where it was prior to entering uh, the period of, of uh, recession and uncertainty. So I'm optimistic that once we get through this and we understand what the magnitude and duration of the pandemic is going to be, that the economy for the middle market will bounce back fairly quickly. Uh, it's just that right now we have no way of knowing how long that's going to be and when the economy will start to reopen. Mm -hmm. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for talking with me today. I look forward to catching up with you in a couple months to see where we're at then. And in the meantime, I'll keep my eye on the, the RSM blog. Okay, thanks so much, Katie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.